and I had bad allergies that day, and I was sneezing a lot, and I went to the bathroom, kind of washing my face, and I was leaning over on the sink, and I just sneezed. And it felt like I had just been stabbed by a red-hot knife. I mean, it was just, it was a, a young man, 26 years old, thinking like I was this old man. I couldn't move. I was, I was, I didn't cry. I don't know how, but it was so painful. I just kind of stepped away from the sink in so much pain, and I couldn't walk for like three days. I couldn't move. I couldn't bend over for months. And I didn't go see a doctor. I was stupid. Um, at the time, Bonnie was pregnant with, with Abigail, who's now six. I remember we were going in to see a doctor for a checkup, and she was holding her notebook to take notes, and she had dropped her pen. And, and so, of course, she was pregnant. So she was like, hey, can you pick it up? And I was like, yeah, I can get the pen for you. <laughs> and so Bonnie pregnant, says, I forget it. And she just picks it up. <laughs> it was like, OK, I should go see a doctor. You know, like it was pretty clear to me that I should probably go see someone. So I went to the doctor, had an MRI done, and I had torn my fifth lumbar. And so I, to this day, have a bulge disc. Yes, by sneezing. Can you believe that? And so it's, I know firsthand what it's like to have back pain. To this day, I live with discomfort and pain from time to time. It kind of comes and goes. And, but I don't want to get surgery, so I'm kind of trying to hold it off on that. But here's my point with this not so funny to me at least story, is I know what pain is and I know what it feels like when your body's not healthy, when your body's not right. It's so difficult to just do daily tasks like bend or pick up a pen. I mean, you just can't do what you're supposed to do, what you can do when you're not healthy. And it's the same thing that's true of us physically. When you're, when you're unhealthy, you just you can't function. That's also true of us spiritually. It's impossible for us to have a passion for Jesus. It's impossible for us to be killing our sin, pursuing him, living on mission for him, proclaiming the gospel, living a life of integrity, really following Jesus. It's impossible. If we're, if we're not healthy spiritually, then we're not effective in following Christ. And the same thing's true of a church. Because a church can be healthy or a church can be unhealthy. And if a church is unhealthy, which can happen, if a church is unhealthy, then she is unable to accomplish the mission that the master, Jesus, has entrusted to her. So a church must be healthy if she's to be successful to her mission. And our mission as a church is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's what our mission is. That's what we are here for. And we began this series last week talking about this called Reveal. We're talking about revealing the gospel. And that is, we learned this last week, just reviewing briefly, the book of Titus, that is the theme. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says manifested, that he, God has manifested the gospel. And so the entire theme of the book of Titus is this issue of revealing the gospel. And we are called to reveal it. We talked last week about our very faith that God has begun, sustains, and will complete. Our faith reveals the gospel. Where today, in step two in this series in Titus, we're talking about revealing the gospel through our church. You see, we've been saved for a purpose, and that is to reveal the glory of God. That's why God does what he does, is to display his glory. And it's all about the gospel. That's what it's about. God the Father 
sent His Son, His eternal Son. He sent Him to come to the earth, became a human at the first Christmas. He died on the cross in your place and mine. He was resurrected by the power of God, and Jesus now, who is alive, has defeated sin, and He offers us forgiveness because He died as your substitute, as your sacrifice. God will not forgive a human being for their sin unless the work that Jesus did applies to them because Jesus, as we've sang with every song today, that Jesus is the sacrifice. He died in our place, and that is the gospel. That If we respond to the gospel message of Jesus with faith and repentance, then our hearts are radically changed. We receive His Spirit, and then we see lives transformed. It's all about the glory of Jesus. He is the King of the, of the world. He is the Master of this church. He is the Lord of every single individual believer. And He is alive. And our heart as a church beats fast to make that known to everyone in Abu Dhabi and even to the nations. And so today, as we continue the book of Titus, talking about revealing the gospel with our church. And so if you're taking notes, the main idea for today's message, the main idea of these handful of verses in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, as we continue in this Titus study, the main idea for today is that a healthy church clearly displays God's glory. So today's main idea is that a healthy church clearly displays God's glory. And so the opposite would be true is that a church that's unhealthy does not clearly display God's glory. So God designed us, His church, to demonstrate what He is like. What is the church about? Well, the church is the display of God's glory. The church is for us to show the world the character of God. And so when people, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, people that come in to get breakfast, and then they say, oh, there's a church in here. When people see us, they should see a glimpse of the character of God. When people see how you and I live, they should see God's character. Holy and set apart. We must be different from the world that does not know God. So that's what we do, is we show God's character. What's God like? Look to his people. That's what it should be like. Now, sadly, we don't always do that. A lot of times we distort, not display, God's character. But that is the goal. That's what we're supposed to do. So how will a church be healthy? Begs the question, right? Okay, but we want that. We want to be healthy. We want to show God's character. Our passion is to do that. How? How does this begin? Well, the church to be healthy must be centered on the gospel. It's that simple. If the church is preaching, believing, living, spreading the gospel, then she will be healthy. And so as a church, how are we going to be healthy? Well, by having gospel-centered growth. And so we need to have gospel-centered spiritual growth. We should all be growing in our faith. But we also need gospel-centered community. We need people in our lives to hold us accountable and to love us and to do life in the home group together. And so I'm thrilled that most of you are in the home group, but all of you are not. But you need to be in one. You need gospel-centered growth, also gospel-centered community. But you also need gospel-centered influence. 
Every one of us needs to be intentional, being on mission to share the gospel, to serve others. It's not about us. It's about God's kingdom. And so we need growth, community, and influence. And when we're doing that, focus on the gospel, we will be healthy. But where does it start? How does the church begin to understand these things and live it out and actually be healthy? The leadership. It begins with, with the church's leadership. That is where it begins. Now, it doesn't end there because we all are accountable to live our lives before God. But for local church to be healthy, it must begin with the leadership. Let's read in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, where God reveals how a church is able to reveal the gospel in a healthy way. Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and point elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. If you remember the context of the book of Titus, the apostle Paul had gone to the island of Crete after he was released from prison in Rome. We don't know exactly when, but we know that he went there preached the gospel, planted churches. Before Paul left the island of Crete, he entrusted young pastor Titus to lead the churches in Crete. Remember the main idea of this text here is that a healthy church clearly displays God's glory. And so verse 5, let's read it again. Paul is reminding young pastor Titus, this is why I left you. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. He's saying, remember Titus, this is why I left you there. This is a letter written later. I left you here, why? So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so the first phrase, he says, put what remained in order. He says, that's why I left you here, that you will appoint elders and put into order. Now, the word there literally means to make straight. Where we get the word orthodontist from is the word here, ortho. It means to make straight. You make your teeth straight. That's what orthodontists do. So the word ortho means to make straight, and that's what, this, what you see here. He says, make it straight, straighten it out. And so apparently, the churches in Crete were not healthy. These churches, when Paul left, they were new, they were, they were, they were beginning to grow, but they weren't healthy. So Paul is saying, go help them to be healthy. Go make them straight so that with this correction, then the church can clearly display my glory and the gospel to the island of Crete. And so he was called to straighten them out. And so you think, well, how did he do that? What was the instruction for straightening out, for helping the church to be healthier? He says, appoint elders. That is God's plan. He, he didn't say anything else. There are many things that he could have said. Go pick some managers. He could have said, go and have a building campaign. He said, go have more programs. There are a lot of things that Paul, maybe we think he could have said, the church needs this to be healthy. 
But instead, Paul says, appoint elders. That is a God's plan. That is what God revealed is the way that a church will be healthy. And he says, as I directed you. So he bears apostolic authority. So he's literally saying as an apostle, as a messenger for Jesus himself, this is God speaking through me, Titus. You need, because of God's authority that I'm, I'm telling you as I directed you, as I decreed is the word there, because of my decree, you go and appoint elders so that they can be straight, so that they can be healthy. And there's two words that Paul here uses here in the Bible for describing these church leaders. The first word is elder. We saw it in verse 5. And so an elder was, was just a typical word like we use the word elder, an older gentleman. And so you respect their elders, you know, talking about an elderly person. But here's the thing. In the New Testament, when it's being used, it is not just an, a, a man that is older. It refers to an official title. So here he says, appoint elders. And Titus was a younger man himself. And so an elder is a title for an official leader in a local church. But then in verse 7, he says, for an overseer is God's steward. And he gives a description, qualifications. And so in the very same paragraph, church leaders are called elders and overseers. Now, the word overseer can be translated bishop. The word is episkopos in the original. So the Episcopalian tradition is borrowing from this word in the original language for overseer. Again, sometimes called bishop. And so here you have both elders and overseers, both words being used interchangeably for someone who is leading the church to make her be healthy. Now there's a third word that's not mentioned here. It's not in Titus 1, but it's in other places like in Acts 20 and also in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It describes yet a third word for a church leader, and that word is pastor. The actual word was shepherd, but shepherd means pastor, same word. And so you, you have the word pastor, someone that shepherds God's people, is another word that are used. And so an elder is a shepherd who is an overseer. An overseer is a shepherd. It's the same thing. And so eldering, shepherding, overseeing, all describe the same essence of leading a church to be healthy. And again, in 1 Peter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3, you see the Apostle Peter use all three words interchangeably. He uses all of them. And so elder, shepherd, overseer, same thing. And so when we talk about that in our context, it's important to understand, and we talk about elders, we're talking about shepherds, we're talking about pastors, we're talking about people that have oversight over the church health. And so our elders, you could say our elder body is our pastoral body, our overseeing body. It's the same thing. It's important to notice here in Titus chapter 1 that Paul says that you would appoint elders. Does he say appoint one elder? No. It's plural. It's more than one. And you see that in other places again. In 1 Timothy 3, you see it in Acts 20, you see it in lots of places in the Bible where it describes more than one elder. So a plurality of elders are called to shepherd, to oversee, to elder a church. And so when we are talking about this, we're talking about a body of spiritually mature 
people that lead the church to be healthy. And I want to introduce very briefly our elder body. If you're new, so you know who they are right here up front. We have Gilbert Lovely. If you can send up just for a second. He doesn't want to. But. So Gilbert, he's been here for a long time, was here from day one in our church. He's one of our elders. Up here also, Earl Palacios. He's also one of our elders. And I just saw Chris who stepped out. It looks like his phone rang. So maybe you all embarrassed him when he comes back in here in just a second. And in the back over there, Ray, Ray Diliaco, back on the soundboard, serving in that capacity. He's another one of our elders. And Chris Moritz, I can't say his last name. I'm not Afrikaans, but Fanden Hever or something along those lines. Chris um, is our other elder. He's preached here in the past. He's preaching here in a few weeks again. Um, later on this month, and so if he comes back, I'll point him out, but I'm sure you know who Chris is. If not, well, you want to, because he's, he's, he's a good man, as all of these guys are. And so those four men, plus myself, the five of us, comprise the elder body, the overseeing body, the shepherding body, same thing. Now, we read in John chapter 10 earlier, Richard Lee led in our our part of the service where we have a prayer and he reads the scripture. Richard read out of John chapter 10, if you remember, where it describes that Jesus is the good shepherd. And so when we're talking about having a body right now of five shepherds, these five men are under the authority of the good shepherd. And there's Chris back there. Everyone say hi. That's Chris. We're introducing the elders, Chris. I'm sorry to point you out there, but that's life. So, Jesus is the good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. And so we who are these under-shepherds that are called, commissioned by this church to lead this body are under the authority of Jesus. And quite honestly, you're not my sheep. I'm a fellow sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one. You belong to him. He died for you. We are simply called to oversee under his authority in his place here. And I can tell you, that daily I feel the weight of that. And just so you know, the reason why we're going through Titus for the next couple of months is because when we got here last summer, I was just devouring Titus in First and Second Timothy, reading him over and over, and I, I, I couldn't get enough because for the first time, I was feeling the weight of shepherding a, a body. And these three letters are written, they're called the pastorals, they're written by Paul to young pastors, and I have been so blessed, so encouraged, so challenged by reading those, just reading them over and over and over. I just kind of wanted to share. I said, I want to share with God's people what God has been showing me through reading these letters about being a shepherd because it applies to all of God's people. So it is a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous honor to serve as your pastor. And it's one that I don't take lightly. It's something that weighs heavy on me. And I recognize the responsibility that comes with that. 1 Peter 5.3, he says, he calls shepherds to be examples to the flock. He says, shepherds, overseers, he says, you must be examples, which is why first, I'm sorry, Titus 1, rather, what we just read, why that's so important. Because these five men, these elders, we are called to be an example to the flock, to the faith family to follow. There are four key words that describe what elders do. What do pastors do? What do overseers do? What is our role? Quite simply, it's leading, caring, feeding, and protecting. 
So those four words, and so it's leading, number one, caring, feeding, and protecting. Those are the four words that describe what a shepherd, what an elder does. And I want to take the rest of our time to go through Titus 1, these verses a little bit more in detail, and look at these four words so that you know exactly what our role is as shepherds and how this applies to all of us as we move forward with our mission as a faith family. So the role of pastors, number one, I've talked about it's leading. And so we are called to lead the sheep. And so lead the sheep. We just read it, verses 6 and 7. Let's read it again. It says, if anyone is above reproach, be a husband of one wife. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. It says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And so these are the qualifications for someone to serve as an elder. And the fundamental reality here is above reproach. It refers to being blameless where no accusation can come. Now, does it mean that pastors, the elders, are perfect? Of course not. We are as flawed as you are. I, I assure you, I'm as flawed as any other human being. I have a different role God's called me to, but it's not about being better or worse, just a different role. But if there's an accusation that can come towards any elder, then it has to be weighed out seriously. Because if there are any accusations where a pastor's integrity is in question, then that has to be considered because this is a requirement. And he even talks here about a husband of one wife, that the elder, a man, must have sexual purity. So it's not just the legalistic, oh, be married to one woman. Well, that's a starting point. Clearly, we want to maintain that, that foundational principle, but it's more than that. He's talking about maintaining sexual purity. So an elder, and it says he even lead his family well. And so an elder has to lead his family, be sexually pure. No accusations can come to him. This is very important. Usually when we think about pastors, we think about managers. But the scriptures talk first and foremost about character, about humility. These are the essence of what a an elder must be, and he calls leaders, it says, God's stewards. That's the word he uses here. He says, as elders, we must be above reproach. He says, why? As God's steward. Pastors, elders, we are accountable to God. This is real important. We are accountable to God for the health of this church. I can't stand it. I'm serious. I hate it. When I hear pastors that speak poorly of their people, oh, they don't understand, oh, they're immature, they don't get it. I'm like, well, why aren't you teaching them? A pastor should not blame the people in his church if, if they don't have a zeal for the gospel, if, if they don't understand the need to be pure, if they don't understand the need for community, if people in the church don't, don't have an impetus to follow Christ then you have to look at the person that's opening God's word and say, are you teaching them? Are you leading? Are you modeling this? And so this is a huge responsibility as it says God's steward. And so stewardship refers to accountability, but it also refers to having authority. It's both. Just like as a parent, you are accountable to take care of your children. You're responsible for that. 
But that same responsibility as a steward over your children gives you authority over your children. You are the parent. I've seen too many homes where the kids run the home. I mean, I mean I'm serious. I've seen many parents that don't discipline their kids. And the kid cries, and the parents, whatever the kid wants, and, and the kid, the three-year-old, is running the family. Well, the parent has just given up his responsibility as a steward to have authority. And so having stewardship is authority. Because think about it, what the word means. The steward's not the owner. The owner has ultimate authority. The master owns the property. But, but then he gives the steward what? Responsibility and authority to lead that property in his place. And so he doesn't own it as a steward, as a manager, but as a steward, he is responsible. He's accountable to the master, but he has the authority to run it when the master is away. And so stewardship refers to responsibility, accountability, but also to authority. And let me tell you, a lot of people don't like authority. It's wired in our hearts to not want authority. And we're, we don't want to have pastoral or any other kind of authority. But the reality is that this is what God has revealed. God is the authority. It's not me or the other elders. God is the authority. We're under his authority, which is revealed in his word. But authority in itself is actually a blessing. Imagine kids with no authority. They run wild. Let me give you an example from my world the last two weeks about having no authority. If you've been to Dalma Mall in the last two weeks, anyone been there recently, Dalma Mall? Not many of you. Y'all don't get out much, right? All right. If you go to Dalma Mall, you'll see that there's a circus right next to it. It's actually not bad. It's actually a pretty good show. It was a little baffling. I don't know how they did it. But anyway, the point is that there's a little circus next to Dalma Mall. Now, two weeks ago, I went to the mall, you know, not, not to the circus. But the thing is, exiting the circus and the car park is the same road. And on top of that, there's construction. So it's one lane. And so you have the car park going out to one lane, the circus people going out, same bottleneck because of construction. It's just terrible. Let me tell you something. It took me half an hour to go like 50 meters. It was so painful. I was like, I just want to go home. And everyone's cutting you off. and getting, It was just terrible. And so then last week, we went to the circus. You just check out the circus. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be two hours to get home again tonight with, with the bottleneck. But you know what happened? It took like 10 minutes. It was remarkable. We, we got out so fast last week. And I thought, are the drivers being nicer? No, they're not. I promise. Abu Dhabi. Drivers aren't nice here. Was there any less traffic than the week before? No. I actually think there was more traffic. I, I, there was a lot of cars. And the difference was, with those two weeks, there was a police officer that was directing traffic. Only difference. I'm telling you, that was the only difference. There was a cop blowing his whistle, saying, stop over here, now all of you come. And then blow the whistle again, stop over here, now all of you go out of the car park and the circus, and he directed traffic. And it was so fast. Why? Because there was someone that had authority. There was a police officer who was directing and leading. He was guiding them. And everyone got out. There were no accidents. And it was very pleasant. I was glad there was a cop with the whistle that had the authority. It changed everything for me last weekend. 
just, it was delightful. And so authority is not bad. Authority is actually a blessing from God. But it has to be authority that reflects his character. So here's a phrase I want you to hear carefully, okay? Because some of you aren't going to like it. So I'm preparing you, all right? So just kind of get ready for it. Our elder body, our, our church believes that God's word has revealed that spiritually mature men are called to lead local churches. We have a conviction that, I'm going to say it again, okay, that the Bible revealed that spiritually mature men are called to lead local churches. Now, some of you are saying, well, why do you keep repeating that? What's the big deal? Some of you, you know, don't think that's any big deal. But others of you want to grab your tomatoes and you want to throw them at me. And you're angry at me right now. And before you boo or start heckling me, and before you throw vegetables at me, Let's work through these two issues because there are two, and they're sensitive and they're complex. And I'm the first to admit that they're difficult. If we're really honest, this is a hard place to live. I've been here for almost a year, May 23rd, so three weeks shy of one year. And I've learned in this last year that living here is not easy. You're far from home. Work is long hours. The weather has been surprisingly bearable for May, but this is a hard place to live. You can't own property. You can't really own a business. It's just difficult. And everything feels like it's not normal, and nothing is ever comfortable. And, and you come even to our zoo church, and, and you're like, okay, this is great. I have a place where I can go worship. But even here, if we're honest, it's not home, what you're used to. What you, what you experience in the worship gatherings is just different. And we're all from all over the planet and we bring different traditions and thoughts and backgrounds. And so we come together, we come to church, and you know what we want? We want a haven. I'm the same way. I mean, I want to leave, you know, what's hard out there. And a lot of you have a hard work and you want to leave it at work and you want to come to church and be able to just, just exhale, right? And see people that you love and be encouraged, challenged, but also encouraged from God's word. And, and you, want, you want that. Your heart yearns for that. And you come to church and it's, and it's just, there's changes there. And I don't agree with the pastor on this or that. And now church is hard. And that's not my goal. My goal is not to rob you of a degree of comfort or that's not my goal. But I do want to remind you that we must not allow comfort to drive us what must drive us is what's revealed in God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. And so let's work through these two very difficult, complex, and different people that have different thoughts on this, and I respect that. The first one, in regards to the nature of church leadership. We as a church are a congregational, elder-led church. You're like, what does that even mean, this big word? Congregational means that the congregation helps to lead the church. So in a sense, democratic. So if you've read our constitution, it has the word democratic. Describes what our church is. And it is. Because the church voted for me to be the senior pastor. But the church voted to have four other men serve as elders. And so the church voted on the five of us to lead the church spiritually. But the, but the church didn't just vote on the leadership. The church voted on the budget. And so the church decides where the money goes and how it's spent. And so the church has a say, and the church helps to lead. And so the church, at its essence, is democratic, congregational. 
But does that mean that we have a business meeting every single month? No. No, we don't. Our Constitution has one, and it's in January, called the Annual General Meeting, the AGM, where we do either call a pastor or we do vote on the budget. And you can express what your concerns are. And so we do have the elements being congregational, but we are an elder-led church. We are. And so a lot of the decisions are we, we don't ask the church, what do you think, and take a poll, because I think if we did that, it would actually be more divisive. Because we have so many different opinions and so many different backgrounds and languages and traditions and cultures, it would be very difficult. And there's always maybe someone that says, well, I don't like that. And all I can say is, my heart does go out to you. It really does. I know this is not always an easy place to live. But the elders have been commissioned, first of all, from God's word to lead the church as shepherds. But this church has adopted this church government. I didn't. Before I even came here, it was already in place. So I've inherited. Now, I agree with it. I'm thankful that it is what it is. But it wasn't my idea. It's in God's word. First of all, second of all, our church affirmed this. And so with that said, the spiritual leaders of this church is the elder body. That is who is commissioned by God to lead. So here's how this works. Let's be honest. Are we perfect? No. Do we get things wrong? Yes. Absolutely. Do we sometimes say things that are foolish? Yes. Can we have a bad attitude? Yes. If you see a consistent pattern of ungodliness, a consistent pattern of lack of integrity with an elder, if you see a consistent pattern of that, then it needs to be addressed. Time to get a new pastor or time to get a new elder body. And the Constitution has provisions where that can happen. And so I'm here to serve you under the authority of Christ. But if, if my character or any elders is ever in question, then I would say we need new pastors and new elders. But if we do believe that the pastors are following what God has revealed and within a whole they're godly men that are approachable and are expressing humility, then I would ask you to trust the leadership. Trust the leadership because we pray together and we pour over. And when we meet, to be honest with you, we, they're not short meetings. We ask my wife. We started at 6.30, and we're usually done by midnight. It was 11 o'clock Wednesday night, and I was like, whoa, it's still today. It's not tomorrow yet. These are usually long meetings where we're pouring over, and we're sharing, and we're grappling, and we're praying together. It's not easy, but we do because we love Christ, and we honestly want to lead this faith family and so we are called to lead, and that's what shepherds do. They lead the sheep. But we want you to come to us. If you have concerns or questions or doubts or anything on your mind, talk to an elder. I hope you're close to one. If you're not close to at least one elder, you're really missing out. There's only five of us. There's not that many of us. The church isn't huge either for that matter. So you can probably have a friendship with more than one elder, and I encourage you to do that because at our heart we're shepherds and we want to lead people. That's what we want to do. So that's the first issue that I know is a little sticky on church leadership, and we're a congregational 
but also elder-led church. Now, the other one that's difficult is the role of women as pastors. Because I said specifically that God has revealed that men are to lead the church as elders. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't agree with that. I, I believe that women should. Well, I'm going to just say this. I completely agree that women are servants. I completely agree that if you look in the New Testament and Old Testament, the entire Bible, you will see women that follow Jesus. You will see women that told others about Jesus. You will see women that proclaimed the gospel. You will see women that served the church. You will see women that were powerfully used by the Spirit of God, both Old and New Testament. And so I completely affirm that we need, and I mean that we need women to be serving. And there are amazing women that have teaching ministries, like Beth Moore, the name one popular American. She has this huge millions of people that listen to her teaching. And I love and support her. I think that's wonderful. We bought every one of her studies. And so I like Beth Moore. I really do. I like seeing women taking the lead and being useful for the gospel and for God's kingdom. And so women are called. They're equipped to carry the gospel, to make disciples. And so we have complete value of women as a faith family. We love our ladies, and we need to be serving. And if I'm honest with you, I'm being honest, there's more ladies than men that serve in this church. There are more. If you look at our ministry teams, led by women. Now, Tim does lead the missions team. His wife is very closely working with him. Lance leads our care team. His wife closely works with him. Other than that, they're all women. And not just that, a lot of our classes are taught by women. Now, there are some guys, like Richard, who earlier, you know, prayed, and we have our youth leaders like Dan and others and Andrew. And so we have some guys that are involved actively in ministry in our church, but I can't name all of them because there are several, but we have a lot of women that serve in our church. And without them, it just wouldn't happen. This church couldn't grow. We couldn't accomplish what we do if it wasn't for women. And so I see complete equality, and I see God has called and empowered women to lead. So that isn't the issue. So that isn't the question. The question is, has God called women to serve as pastors, as elders in the local church? That's the only question here. And as an elder body, as a church, we, we believe that God has revealed that it is upon men to have that role. It's not about equality. We see complete equality with men and women. It's just a different role. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Some will say, no, that's just because there was heresy in Ephesus. That was just cultural. But it's not. Because the next phrase, he roots the argument. He bases it on creation. He says, for it was Adam who was created first and not Eve. And so the argument that women should not be pastors is based on the created order itself, on redemption itself. And so we see complete equality. So our church affirms that women are gifted and called, but we do not believe that women have the role of being an elder or a pastor. Equality, different role. The best example of this is in, in the actual Trinity itself. If you look at the Trinity, you have God the Father. Who is God the Father? Well, he is, he is the one that designed the plan of redemption. The Father sent the Son. The Son obeyed the Father's instructions in the plan that the Father devised. It was the Son that went and accomplished it by submitting to the Father. And the Father and the Son together sent the Spirit to go and apply redemption 
to indwell believers, to grow us to sanctification. And so you have the Father as the architect, the Son as the accomplisher, and the Spirit as the applier of redemption. All three are God, are they not? Who's more important? Well, they're all. They're all God. It's the Trinity. They're equal. They're all God. But they have a different role within redemption. So this isn't about equality. It's about a role, and it's different. And so it's the same thing in the local church. And so there are missionaries all over the world that are women sharing the gospel, and we applaud and we affirm and want to partner with that. But in a local, organized church, we believe that God has called men to take the lead, to be elders, to be overseers, to be pastors. And we say that with humility and with love and with value to every lady sitting in this room. And if you have questions, if this is unclear or you want to work through this, I invite any of you to please come talk to me or any of our elders. You can talk to any of the five of us. We'll sit down with you, open up God's word, and any of us can explain where we're coming from beyond the time that I have in the last few minutes here this morning. A lot to be said in about five minutes, but this is important because as we move forward, these are the kind of things that we need to grapple with. And as a faith family, if we're too afraid to talk about things that are difficult, then I don't think God's going to bless us. And so this is where we're at. But let's, let's get back to Titus 1, verses 7 through 8, as you wrap things up here. Uh, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. These character qualities are not just for pastors, because if you look at us in the New Testament, these same things on self-control and loving good and being godly and being upright, that's repeated all over the New Testament for all believers. So why is it that elders must have this? Because elders serve as an example for everyone to see and to follow. So there's four areas within our relationship that this applies to us. Four areas. One is your relationship with God. And he talks about being holy. And so I just asked you to ponder this week, how is it going with you and God? How is that relationship between you and God? Second area was with you and yourself. So how you relate to yourself. He talks here about not being quick-tempered, not being a drunkard, having no addictions, not being greedy, being upright, being disciplined, all of these qualities having to do how you relate really to yourself. But the third area is you and your family. How it relates to your family. Because here it says husband and one wife leading your children. And so I ask, how are you relating to your family? Do you have time for your wife? You're teaching your children. So we must relate to God, ourselves, our family, and lastly to others well. We can't be arrogant or violent or, or, and we must be hospitable. And so these are all how we relate to other people. And so I ask that you would just consider how are your relationships with God, with yourself, with your family, and with others? Because all four of those are covered for all believers and pastors are to be the example. And so God wants to heal your relationships, but we must be willing to submit to him. So pastors are flawed. I'm the first to admit that. But God has called us to live this out so that we can all do this. And it's a weighty responsibility to ask that you would trust us. Let's go through the last three points quickly, okay? Care for the sheep, feed the sheep, and then the last one is protect the sheep. It won't take long. It'll be a, a minute or so for each one, all right? I'll, I'll, I'll go quick. He says care for the sheep. He says hospitable. 
caring for others. And so as shepherds, it's not about making decisions and having this power. It's not about that. It's about relationships. And so as shepherds, as elders, our main role is a relational role. Our main role is to be with you, to care for you. We want to know you, which is why being a member is so important. Because how can we care for you unless we know you well and know that you're committed, know that you're a believer? And so, so that we can get to know you, we need to care for you. And so if you'll come in as a member, it'll help us get to know you better. If you just come in, come out, don't meet anyone, then what can we do? It's important for you to really commit. Commit not just to the authority of the elder body, but to the care, the shepherding of the elder body so we can help you grow. So we want to lead the sheep, but we need to care for the sheep. And you can do that with each other. Help us. Care for each other. I mentioned in the prayer that Daisy lost her mom this week. The home group has risen up and is meeting needs and is caring for her. That's what we're about, is meeting needs and caring for one another. And we can all do that, not just the pastors. The pastors model it, but we should all be doing that. Leading and caring. The next one is feeding. Feeding the sheep. Verse 9, he says that he must hold firm to trustworthy word. So he must give instruction, he says. So elders must feed. We must teach. Fundamentally, that's what elders are. There's two offices, elder and deacon. Deacon means servant. That's what the word means. And so deacons serve by meeting needs. Elders serve with the word. And so elders lead with the word. Deacons lead by serving, by meeting needs. And we don't use the word per se deacons, but we have people that are ministry team leaders that serve that capacity. They're the chief servants in our church. That's a deacon role. But then there's the elder's role, which is that of teaching. Now, does every single elder have to preach on a Friday morning? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. They lead home groups. They disciple people one-on-one. And so they're teaching. They're leading from the word in some capacity. And so we need to be hearing the word to be spurred on to health. And so I want our church to have kind of a culture of feeding, a culture of discipleship where we speak truth to each other. And when we talk, it's not just about the weather or sports, but we talk about what we're learning and encourage and challenge each other. And so shepherds feed the sheep, but we must all be doing that and teaching each other. So who are you teaching? Who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? We should all be doing this. Lastly, protect. We must protect the sheep. He ends the section with saying, Rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is describing correction here. We'll talk about that more next week in the text. But a lot of times, sheep, we need correction. People can wander off, and so we want to protect if, if someone doesn't come. If you've noticed someone has been around for a few weeks, will you call that person? Well, I mean, I'm serious. If someone hasn't shown up, call them. Say, hey, we've missed you. Look around and see who's not here. Tell one of the elders so that we can follow up. We don't want anyone to stray away. We want to keep everyone here in the fold. And so we need to all together be protecting and protecting our unity. That's so important. Topics like we talked about this morning can be very divisive. And I pray that they would never divide our faith family. A church like ours is so diverse, we have to have room where on the essentials, the gospel, who Jesus is, what is our mission, we are united around that. And the things that are more peripheral, that aren't the gospel, those things, we have to show grace and patience with each other and be able to love each other. 
So we need to protect the unity. Hey, as I close, when God is at work, Satan is also at work. He doesn't want this church to grow. He doesn't want to see lives transformed. He doesn't want to see us going to a new location, have another church come in here and us go plant more churches. He doesn't want that. And so when we see God working, we can guarantee you that Satan is also at work to derail us and to destroy unity and so forth. And so we need to protect it and be praying that God will do that and speak truth to each other so that we can all do this together. A healthy church displays God's glory. And if you're new here today, if you're just investigating what this thing called faith is all about, I encourage you to keep investigating, keep coming. Maybe you realize that you are a sinner and that God did send his son. He did die for you, and you can be a part of our faith family. Yes, we're flawed, but we love each other, and we want to move forward for God's glory. And quite simply, all you have to do is just ask God to forgive you, ask Christ to save you, repent of your sins, turn to him with complete trust, and he'll change you. He'll do that. May we be a church that reveals the gospel, that we will show grace, that we will show patience, that we will show holiness and unity, reveal the gospel through our church. Will you pray with me?